Okay, I want to show you something here. Could Scott Egan and Bob Rotar just stand up for just a second? I want you to check this out right here. This is a new group we've got here at Calvary. It's called the Calvary Trio. And um, we are available for weddings and receptions and different things like that. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty awesome band. Thank you, guys. Um, extremely handsome men, and you dress well. I don't care who hears me say that. Hey, let me, um, before we kind of dive in, um, let me, I just want to share my heart with you. And I know I'm, I'm that generation of people who started coming around church and um, being in this community of believers on a, you know, on a, on a large scale uh, at a time in history where it just seemed to me like everybody... Not everybody, that's not right, but you know, I started tuning in, you know? I mean, everything was, it was so different to me, and this was all sort of new uh, that I didn't understand some of the things about the culture, so I, paid it, I started paying attention. And one of the things is it seemed like all the guys on television who were in ministry, at some point, they're, they're talking about money. The evangelists who would come to our church, they would talk about money. And even some of the pastors, it seems like every now and then they'd come back to money, and that was, there was something, maybe it's just rebellion in me at that time or because I was withholding that part of my life or my obedience to the Lord, but I was sensitive to it. Uh, and it just came across as unattractive. You know, and I don't know if you feel that sometimes, but, but I do. And that's kind of made me uh, a little, you know, wary of that, I guess. Or that, you know, I, we, we work hard at not coming to you all the time and kind of bad and saying, hey, we need, you know, you know, we need to give more because little Timmy and, you know, and we, we, we try not to do that to you. But sometimes we get to this place where we feel like it's appropriate. And today's one of those moments where I, I feel, I don't want to overstate this or exaggerate it. Uh, guys like me always say things are really big, you know, and you think it was kind of big. Uh, but I feel called, if that's not too strong, I feel called to a- address at this moment just the fact that uh, I want you to enjoy the blessings of giving and the difference that that makes in your life spiritually. You know, if you leave that out of your adventure and, and out of what you're, you know, doing in your journey with the Lord, you're going to miss a huge part of what God has for you. And uh, where we are kind of lines up with, with that thought and with that idea uh, because we're, you know, here at Calvary, we're... You know, we operate like on a budget system, and we're going into our last quarter of the year, so we're starting to think about 2012, and we're looking at, you know, back on this year, and as we're going into that, that time, we're, we're thoughtful about that. We want this, we want to finish well. We want this to be strong uh, at, at the end of 2011, and I'll be honest with you, where we are is not so strong. We're paying all the bills, everybody is taking care of, I mean, we're, we're doing everything we need to do, but we're cutting it really close. We're running, we're running tight uh, at that place. And now I do sound like that guy on television. You know, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, you sound just like that guy that you don't like. Uh, but I didn't know what else to do. And, I just, and the Lord just seemed to give me the freedom to say, hey, folks, are you giving? Is that a part of your lifestyle? You can't outgive the Lord. And, you know, I, I think we withhold, and I'm... I just, I just kind of sense that, that maybe some of us, we're just not at that place where we think, God, I just want to be freed up, and I just want to be able to give to you and not worry that I'm going to lose out and that you're not going to bless me and that it's, 
that's not going to happen, and at the end of the day, I'm going to go, oh, if I hadn't given that, I'd have this. I, don't, I really don't think that's going to happen. So here's a couple of things I'm praying for. Uh, one is that you would make giving a part of your regular lifestyle, your obedience. I mean, it's just like your mortgage or your car note or your insurance payment, your tuition. and Just like giving is, is just part of who I am. And, and the other thing is that you would do this, and here's what I'm praying, okay? I'm praying that God would bless some of you in extraordinary ways, unexpectedly. That you would get a check and go, oh, did you know this was, I, we, didn't, we didn't know this was gonna come in. I'm praying that you would have some of those moments, those windfalls coming up over the next few weeks. And that when that happens, that you would remember this moment and you'd say, oh, God's blessing me so I can bless Calvary. I'm praying for that. One of our specific needs uh, right now, for instance, is, is the, the equipment, the sound equipment. You know, when we budget every year, we try to include everything that we can think of and that we're, we know we're, we're going to have to do with the utilities and buying light bulbs and everything that needs to happen behind the scenes so that we can do this, so that we can worship, and that this would be a comfortable place for our guests to come. Those of us who are home folks, you know, we're just kind of like at your house, you think, uh, we can get by. Or we, but when, when you have company coming, and we have company every weekend, you know, we, we want it to be nice. We want it to be comfortable. And we're right up to the edge of what we're able to do with that. The equipment that we have here and across the street in the student center has just, just reached its, the end of its lifespan. And we are so creative, believe me. We've tried, we have patched things and borrowed things from other churches, and we've fixed stuff and used used equipment and and we've just kind of gone as, as long as we can, you know, and we just keep going up to that and keep going up to that. And, 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 and this stuff, just, there's just some things that in the next few weeks you're going to hear me with, I'm going to be in a megaphone, you know, <laughs> or the, you know, the, the band's going to be just, just coming out to, because you can't hear them. Um, and we we got to do that. We, we just got to get that done. And it's about $5,000 um, for everything that we need. And that's not a Cadillac, okay? That's, that's not like state-of-the-art, you're going to come in, I was in Tennessee Theater the other night, and I was noticing those inline speakers that are so cool and sound so good. And I'm sitting there, and I'm coveting these speakers. And I'm thinking, you know you've been in ministry too long when you see a speaker and go, whoa, look at those speakers. You know, and you're thinking, what's happening to me? But that's where we are. We need, we need to get that done because you need to hear what's going on up here. And that needs to be clear and bright and vibrant. So um, I, I don't even know where to end that. I haven't planned this moment uh, very well, uh, to, but we need 5000 right away just to get this done. And it's not in our budget because you can't kind of plan things like that. And we face the idea, well, we can wait till the end of the year and put it in the next year's budget, but you can't just in January go, boom, we're going to write a check for that. Uh, you know, we can't do that. And we thought, we don't want to go three months. We've got the missions conference. We've got Christmas. We've got all kinds of cool things coming up. We want you to be able to hear from here to there, you know, what's going on. So I'm just going to put that out there. Maybe some of you guys want to step up and say, you know what, I'll give a grand, I'll give five, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can do, and we're going to make that happen, take care of that. And then for the rest of us to say, you know what, I think I can give a little extra. I think I can be obedient and just give from now to the end of the year, this last quarter, I'm going to give what I'm supposed to give and just see what happens. Okay, I've said enough about that. I think, I think you got the idea. But um, in fact, let me just stop and pray. Do you mind if I do that? Uh, Father, uh, this is awkward for me, and I don't like making appeals of this nature, and I don't think we ever even should have to. But we're a family. 
And sometimes families go through things together. And Father, we're okay. We're, uh, we're not hungry. We're, we're, the lights are burning. We're, we're doing okay. But Father, we, we don't feel like we're at a place of blessing. We're not at a place where we're honoring you and where we're doing our best in this area. And so, Father, I pray that you would meet all of our needs, that you would prompt our hearts. I pray you would bless us in unexpected ways so that we would be able to bless this place and reach out to this community. Father, I pray that you would help us to be obedient. Uh, if we're not giving and we're a part of this, uh, uh, Lord, that's embarrassing. We, we just need to step up. And I pray you'd give us the grace and the courage to do that. And, Father, I pray you'd help us to address this immediate need of sound equipment here and across the street it's just as bad in the student center uh, those guys need to be able to, uh, to to be able to do the worship and the music and everything that you've, you've led us to do so father would you help us out uh, with that and we trust you and we thank you and we pray you'd help us to uh, to not be offensive but at the same time to not be apologetic about it either because this is we feel like what you've called us to do and we're all in this together and we follow you uh, in, into uh, these next few months and just watch and wait to see what you do. And I, uh, you surprise and delight us all the time, and I fully expect you'll do it again. So I want to give you praise in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're kind of where we are. We're going into this last uh, part of the message of the series that we've been doing over the last several weeks on First John called Dive Deep. And we uh, look at all kinds of things that John has brought out. And, and I think you probably knew or you felt like we, we couldn't end this, we, we couldn't land without talking about love. For weeks we've been considering these true tests of faith, what it is. How do you know that it's authentic? Uh, the marks of a real follower of Jesus, what does that look like? And John has written at length about this ethical test, how we, how we live, this doctrinal test, what it is that we believe. But if you know anything about John, you know that sooner or later, it had to come around to this relational test. Who and how do you love? After all, it was John uh, that quoted Jesus as saying, by this, all people, are going to know that you're my disciples if you love each other. And that, I, mean, that was, I don't know if that sounded revolutionary at the time he said it, if the guys around him were trying to outguess him or think ahead, like how will they know? How will they know we're the real deal? How will they know that you are genuine? Um, if, if we do this, if we do this, no, if you just love each other. That is so rare and so beautiful, so unique in our culture for people just to love each other in, in, in a place like this, in a, in a context like this. He said that by itself will get their attention. John was also, he was described as the apostle of love. I like that. Didn't that have kind of a vibe to it? Like, what's the guy, Barry White? Oh, this is John, I'm the apostle of love. You know, and you just got, I get that feeling. But his reputation was so centered around, he was just known for being loving and that that was his theme of his ministry that they called him the apostle of love. I just think that would look cool on a chariot sticker or you know, uh, you know, somewhere where he would keep that, maybe on a t-shirt or a robe. Um, in fact, ancient tradition says that even when John was an old man, that they would go to his house 
the elders of the assembly would carry him down to church and they would sit him down. In that day, they would stand at some moments and then they would sit for the preaching that the, the preacher would sit down to speak. He would stand for other things and then sit down. It was kind of backwards the way we do it sometimes. Uh, but, but John would sit down and everyone else would sit down and he would look around and say, Dear children, let us love one another. That, would become, that was his trademark. That was his signature. Everybody knew, here he comes. They've gone to get him, and they've carried him in. He was so dear to them. There was such an affection there. They'd sit him down, and then they'd wait for it. And from the oldest person in the room to the child, children in the room, they would all lean in as John would say, Dear children, and he would look around the room because he, had the, he was the oldest guy there. He was the only guy there who knew Jesus personally. I mean, he had this one-on-one -on -one experience. He's the last man standing. He'd say, Let's, let us love one another. That's the hall, the trademark of his ministry. So it's not surprising that we're going to talk about love this morning, and I'm sure we'd all agree that this is the essential thing to diving deep as a Christian. I've heard that, and I grew up in this generation that, oh my goodness, every movie and song I've ever heard is all about love. Uh, but, but what is it? What is love? I grew up with a different concept of it. To me, it was always related to a feeling. I don't love you anymore. I do love you. I might love you. I think I love you. I'm falling in love with you. I'm, you know, it, was, it was all about this, this, this kind of a mysterious thing that was related to emotion. Uh, but what is it? Why is it so important? What does it look like to live a life of love? And if that is possible, how do I embrace it? Not just observe it. But I, I, how do I do that? How do I do it? Well, those are questions that a lot of you probably asked uh, before this morning, whatever our background is, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not. Um, so let's, let's dive into John's letter and see what we can learn about love. And what we'll do today is to begin in 1 John chapter 2, uh, and you can just go ahead and find that and look at the ninth verse. But we've pointed out earlier in this series that John structures his letter in a unique way. You see, if, for instance, when I prepare a message or maybe you prepare for a term paper or for a presentation at work, you know, I, I do it in kind of a, uh, a linear style. You know, point A, the ethical test, a, B, C, D, you know, point two, the doctrinal test, A, B, C, point three, the relational test. And, and I, I kind of lay it out, and I fill in that skeleton, you know, and, and flesh it out, and then and there it is. John really doesn't do it like that. He kind of lays out his letter in this revolving sort of style, this, this fashion where he introduces these three themes, and then he, he comes back to them again and again. He'll, he'll touch on it and come back, and... And he just kind of weaves that in and out uh, of this letter over and over. And, and every time he brings it back up again, he dives a little deeper and dives a little deeper. So he first introduces this subject of love in chapter 2, verse um, 9. Uh, verse 9 and 10. Uh, and here's what he says. I'm trying to find this. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. 
John uses some pretty strong language, and this, this, he, he, he does these, if you read this, there's these abrupt transitions, and you know, he's kind of like he's talking along, and then he, he's just kind of pointing, and he just goes over here, and he says, you know, hates his brother, uh, love, hate, light, dark. There doesn't seem to be a lot of middle ground. What we do know is that what motivated this, what's, what's fueling John to write this letter to begin with, and to use such strong language, is that there's a problem in the church in Ephesus. They had this church, and then these little satellite churches all over the city, all over the, the, you know, the, the place in that area. And John is writing as a pastor to those congregations uh, in the church. We don't know the details. We don't know specifically what was going on. But what we do understand, what it, what it feels like or appears to be, is that there was this doctrinal disagreement over the person and the deity of Jesus. There were some questions. Some generations had gone by, and people were going, well, I don't know about Jesus, and was he really this, and was he that? And they, they kind of argued back and forth about it like church folks do sometimes. Uh, and this dispute, just like, it, just like it always works, it started off as being theological, but after a while it leads to other things. Infighting, uh, power struggles, team building, you know, there are these factions begin to grow up within the church, and you've probably seen that at some time in your life in some place. It's hard to imagine brothers and sisters in Christ hating each other. I was in a huge, I wasn't in it, I was a, like an older teenager, and I went to this church, and it was in the middle of this big church fuss and ended up being a big church split. And I just sat there, and, you know, I'm curious about Jesus. I had some Christian friends, and they're telling me about Christ. And so I'm coming around, checking it out. And there was this fight. It was, I just walked out. I, I thought, uh, this is what you're trying to get me to buy into? No, thank you. I've got enough of this in my own family. You know, I, I don't need this. I don't need to come here and just see it ten times bigger and engage once more into something like that. Uh, I could not believe that. Uh, it must have been pretty serious, whatever was going on there, for John to use this kind of strong language. It was disappointing to me to, to, to learn that the church was already having problems at this point in history. Isn't that something? I mean, John was a contemporary of Jesus. He saw him and knew him and talked to him and hung out with him. And before John's life is over, the church is already going through these, these kind of situations. If there's anything that dis disappoints me even more than that, I guess, is to realize that 2,000 years later, we still don't get it right. The church still struggles with unity and with lack of love. A church asked me to come help mediate a difference they had, and uh, I've never stepped into a room any colder or more polarized than I was in this situation. And you could just see the people, somebody on this side of the room would say something. And while they were saying it, the other side of the room would go, and they began to whisper. And, to, and you could tell what was happening. They weren't hearing each other. They were just mad. They just wanted their, I just want my way. I just want it to happen like I want it and to unfold and, and that's it. And, and You've maybe never seen that, or maybe you've been a part of it. You know how distasteful that is. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Let's, let's bring it down to a kind of a more personal level. If someone were to ask you, how do we do in relationally here at Calvary? Or at your, you know, maybe you're a guest at your church. 
How would you answer that? On one hand, there's a lot to be excited about. And I am. I mean, we've, we're a pretty diverse community. It's one of the things I love about our church. We're from all over the place, and we're different ages and backgrounds. Some of you have been Christians forever, you know, for your whole life. Some of you, this is brand new, and you're just now stepping into this. Uh, but we've been able to appreciate and go past those differences and love each other and, and to enjoy unity for a long time. And overall, I get this feeling of warmth in this congregation. People are friendly. Um, the thing I love about you guys is you seem to like each other, you know? And you ever been to churches where they don't like each other? You can tell they love each other in Jesus <laughs> as a brother and sister. But I don't like you. Uh, but there's a, a lack of love, lack of something genuine. I like the fact that there's a lot of caring in our ministries, you guys prepare meals for each other, and you visit each other in the hospital, and you support each other in hard times, and you, if somebody's having a tough you know, month, you, you, you tend to work it out and come over and help each other out. I, I, just, I, I love that. We have more people involved right now in community groups than ever before. And we're hearing exciting things. People are coming out going, I love my community group, and these people are, oh, they're so great. So on a certain level, I think we would describe... Calvary, and also a guest who feedback to me going, you know, one guy just said a couple of weeks ago, he said, man, I visited your church. He said, you are the best kept secret in Knoxville. I said, yeah, well, we work at that. We don't want anybody to know how nice we are. I thought, you know, we don't want to be a secret, but he said, I've visited like eight churches. And he said, some people are polite, and they're not, and I'm not comparing ourselves to other churches, because there's, there's so many awesome churches in this town. They're really good, good places, and there's uh, at least a dozen or 50 guys who can preach circles around me and, you know, all that. I fully understand that. But one of the things I love about you is that we have the reputation in this community of being a place where it's easy. It's easy to come in. Thank you for that. Thank you for being a loving congregation. Let me ask you this. How deep is that love? standing across the street in the lawn in front of the student center not too long ago and a, a guy in our church said, you know, I have a lot of acquaintances here but I really don't have any friends. That bothered me. It still bothers me. I hope it bothers you. Are we satisfied with the levels of intimacy and care, the prayer that we experience together? Are we able to have tough conversations with each other and walk away in love? It's one of the things I just, I'm just enjoying this staff. Your staff, these pastors rock. Uh, and we, we have staff meetings sometimes, oftentimes, and we don't always agree. You know, uh, we, we bump each other and we go, oh, I think, well, who told, you know? And then we go out and have lunch together and we talk about the game and we, we hang out and it's just this beautiful thing. I think you guys are showing me that's the way Christians are. You know, I don't have to agree with you about everything. Uh, you can be wrong about the Yankees. You can be wrong about <laughs> so many things. <laughs> You're so funny. Yeah. I think we just broke fellowship. Uh, uh. 
And you're gloating because the cards are still in. Okay, uh, you know, we can agree and disagree. We we walk out in unity. We walk out in brothers. I I appreciate that on so many levels. Uh, And it's tough because we all see things differently. Do we love each other only when it's convenient and when it's easy? Or do we sometimes make sacrifices for each other? Is ours the kind of love that the world would stand up and take note of? Sometimes I think yes. They have these beautiful moments. I was looking back through a journal. I, I don't know if you're like me. I try something electronically, and then I burn out, or I see something cooler or shinier, and I go over and I think, oh, I like this app better than that app. And I went back and looked at an old journal and another app that I don't use, and there was an entry made, and it was after a particularly rocking Sunday morning when we were just kicking it, and that we, I walked out into the uh, foyer, is how I say that, and, and there was one of the oldest ladies in our church who came up and said, I just want to tell you, um, I don't particularly like that kind of music. I thought, no kidding. <laughs> uh, she said this. She said, but it's not about me, is it? And she said, it doesn't bother me because I know we're reaching a brand new generation for Christ. And they like it. And it communicates to them. She got the biggest hug I think a pastor could ever give. I just loved that moment, and I loved her, and, and still do. I just thought that was a beautiful way to say, hey, I'm willing to sacrifice my preferences so that we can love somebody else. You get the sense that John isn't just talking about coming to church and putting on polite smiles and giving friendly handshakes and token displays of unity. John's writing about a love that is distinctive, that it's weird, it's, it's unique, it's strong. It's different from any, uh, church love is different from any kind of love I've ever seen anywhere else in the world. And John's calling for that deep kind of love. The same church that I went to, you know, they had the fuss and they split and all of this. Well, I was so confused and so discouraged and I thought, I don't need that, but... I had a friend who kept hammering me, so I came back to that church later after the dust settled and those who were left. And, uh, you know, there was a couple, there was an older couple in the church, and, and the man got cancer, and he was, we all loved him, and, he, you know, we had nothing in common. Um, I was young and a freak, and he was, you know, old and conservative. And anyway, we just, but I loved this guy. And one Sunday, it became known that he had this and, and couldn't make the money for the surgery that he needed next. So right there on the spot, the pastor gets up and says, his name was Anderton. He said, this is Brother Anderton, and he's going through this, and we're going to pray for him, and, and we're going to take up a collection for him. And just on the spot, they just took up this, and I just sat there. I had never seen that. Now, some of you have seen that your whole life, and you think, yeah, well, that's what we do. They just passed the plate around and took up enough money, and this guy just started crying, and they counted the money right there. It was not sophisticated at all. I mean, it was not anything cool about it. It's just like, well, let's count the money. And they got the guy up to sing another song, and he'd, he'd get to the, he'd get to the, another, no, not done counting. All right, let's sing some more. You know, and they just kept going. They counted the money, and they go, we've taken up this much. How much do you need? He goes, that's how much I need. All right, then we're going to go eat lunch. And they, I just thought, that is so cool. That's like something my friends and I would do. When one of us lose a job, go, here, you need 20 to get some lunch, you know, between now. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we did in real life. I kept coming back to that church. 
God's calling us to that kind of love. There's this popular song in the 80s that, uh, that still haunts the airwaves, okay? How many of you listen to You did listen to 80s music, okay. It's going to make you want to put on your parachute pants, all right, and get your leg warmers out. Um, and I know even though it's those of you who won't admit it, you're not, not going to admit that I listen to that or still do. Uh, I think it began, in fact, this song was from 1984. It was the number one song in both the U.S. and in Great Britain on Billboard magazine. It's, one of, it's listed as one of the top classic rock songs of all time, <laughs> not in my, in my world, but... It turns out there were a lot of number one songs in the 80s that were about love, okay? I don't know if we just felt loving during that generation or what, but it began in 1980 with Queen singing a crazy little thing called love, okay? Um, and Dinah Ross and Lionel Richie followed up with Ode to Endless Love. We did that in our wedding. Ariel <laughs> um, Speedwagon promised, keep on loving you. Joan Jett announced, I love rock and roll. Tina Turner asked the question, what's love got to do with it? Stevie Wonder raised the possibility of a part-time lover. <laughs> Don't think he was reading First John. <laughs> Huey Lewis in the news reminded us of the power of love. I mean, there's so many more. I'm not even going to mention it because some of you think, I'm feeling so cheesy right now. You know? uh, but the song played more often than any of those songs Oh, it's coming up on like 30 years later. I told Josh, our tech guy, I said, when I say this, when we put it up, you're going to sing it for the rest of the day because it gets in your head, and that's what's going to happen to you. It's, um, it's by a band called Foreigner, and it's this. I want to know what love is. I, I can barely read this. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. I mean, it's just people want to know what love is. They want to see it and feel it and experience it. And I don't think it's just something that was expressed in the 80s or just by that psalm, but I think that defines it pretty good. What exactly is love? Well, John speaks to that question the second time. He raises this topic in chapter 3, verse 16. He says, this is how we have come to know love. He says, I'll tell you. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Wow, the first thing that strikes me uh, uh, is that according to John, we find out love actually isn't something you feel or something you say. Love is something you do. It's, it's an action Jesus laid down his life for us. And just to be sure we don't miss it, John tells us again when he comes back around to this topic in the next chapter, in chapter 4, he says, this is how God showed his love for us. He said, just so you make, make sure you get this, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God didn't just tell us, hey, I love you guys. I love you. He showed us by sending his son into the world. Based on what we find here in 1 John, I begin to think about, what it, so what would be a definition of love? If you ever looked at the dictionary, it's, it's long, and it's, you're not sure when you walk away. But I think it's something about this. Love is giving yourself. 
Love is giving of yourself. If love is fundamentally not something you feel, something you do, then the fundamental thing that you do is to give, to give, and not just give, but to give something personal and precious. Some of you begin to contribute to this ministry, and I know it's not always easy. I know there's times you're looking over here at something that you would rather have or to buy for yourself or your kids, and you, you think, yeah, but God's called me to this. Love is when you make that sacrifice and give. Because we're, we're members, you know. Every time you write that tuition check for your kids, you're showing love. Every, every time you give of yourself in any way, that's more what love is than saying, I love you a hundred times. God gave. The, express, the primary expression of his love was an act of giving. And he gave his most valuable thing, his son. Jesus gave his life. We have lots of homeless folks to come by here, particularly during this season, and, and we try to take care of them and give, but uh, I, I know sometimes that you, know, you feel like, well, I'm just, I love this guy and I'm going to give him $5. I mean, that, that's an act of kindness, but it's not some necessarily an act of love. You see, an act of love would be to say to that guy, hey, can I give you a ride? Why don't you come to my house? Why don't you come live with me? I'm going to help you get a job. I'm going to get you on your feet. Um, one day you pull it all together. I'll be the godfather of your children. I'll pay your child's tuition one day. If you, you, know, you just think, whoa, you're going way. That's what love is. That's, I think that's what he's talking about. When we realize that loving somebody, particularly like in this context or illustration, a homeless person, we don't do it just to relieve our guilt or to show how compassionate I am or to make my life a little more interesting. That's not love. Because love isn't about you. It's, about, it's always about the other person. It's always about doing something good for somebody else. So we might say that love is giving of yourself for the good of others. I think that's maybe what John had in mind when he was talking about love. But even that definition, I think, it's not quite there yet. It's not strong enough. It, it's not distinctly Christian Something's missing. So when we look again at John's letter, and we realize he wasn't finished with his definition of love yet. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. Excuse me. Love consists of this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is this remarkable thing about God's love is that he extends it to people who weren't really interested in it. Romans 5, 8 says that, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. People who wanted nothing to do with him, he said, they're my target. They're, they're who I want to love. And just like Adam and Eve before us and every other human being, we turn our back on God and he continues to pursue us. He continues to try to get our attention. And then when he found us, he laid down his life for us, and he did that while we were in the very act of sinning against him. So we can add a phrase to this definition, love is giving of yourself for the good of others, even for those with whom you have differences. Even with people you don't like. To say that we had differences with God is putting it a little mildly, isn't it? I mean, 
But I want this definition to work in practical situations that we're likely to find ourselves in this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day because the point is we don't get to choose who we love. That's... We're not called to love the only the people who are like us or who we agree with or who, you know, who ask for our love, who appeal to that. No, we're called to love those who are different from us, who disagree with us, and even those who may be actively against us. And I told you, when I first started coming around a church community, I was a freak. I mean, I just, I didn't look like any of the people in that particular place. I didn't act like them or talk like them. I mean, it was just different. And some of the people who loved me, I mean, I, I was, when I say freak, I, I hope you understand the language. I wasn't like in a circus or something, but I was just a, like a leftover hippie. And, and I, just, I just came kind of bebopping in. And, and the guys who loved me in that church were coat and tie guys. You know what I mean? They were all dressed up. They were in a suit. Every, you know, and, and they would reach out to me. And at first, I was a little uncomfortable. And it's so odd that the guys who you think you stereotype, well, they're just, you know, they're the suits. and they're the, you know, They were the most loving guys. And I, the generation that sang about love with every song and, you know, and was just really gooshy about it, I was the one going, I don't know, I don't know. I just want to be with my friends who look like me and act like me. But I began to warm up with them, and they just, they broke down my resistance and just loved me and just, just loved me to Jesus. I think that's remarkable. There was a, a pastor in, from Oxford named Vaughn Roberts, and he put it this way. I like this. When you love people who are like you, that's ordinary. When you love people who are unlike you, that's extraordinary. When you love people who dislike you, that's revolutionary. And that is the kind of love that John's calling us to. That's the kind of love that the world's waiting to see. Look in chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Notice he doesn't say love is God, and I don't want to break that down too much or, you know. But what he's saying is it's not, the idea I was brought up on is it doesn't matter who you love or what you love as long as you love. You know, all we need is love, sweet love. Uh, John says, no, I'm not going to deify love. I'm not going to deify that. He doesn't say God is loving as if that's just one of his attributes. It's really nice that God's so loving. And No, what he's saying is his very essence his nature, his character is love. And every other aspect of God, his wisdom, his justice, his judgment, his mercy, his goodness, all of those things that flow out of him, all those attributes are just ultimately expressions of his love, of, of, his, of his love. And the song says, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I think that's what people are waiting for. I think that's what your friends and your family are waiting to see, if it's real. There are members of my family, it took me a couple of years for them to see it was real. It took my friend, who was really interested in me coming to Christ, two years from the time that he started walking with Jesus until I did. And it wasn't that I was watching him like a hawk, but I was very much aware of the difference in him, but I didn't buy into it right away. And I waited to see that it was, 
It was real. And he just kept showing me that and showing me that. I think it happens in, in practical, everyday ways, and that's what I want you to experience. It happens in extraordinary ways and in big ways. But, you know, it, it, John says he addresses that in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to the need, how can God's love reside in him? That's pretty strong. In verse 18, he says, Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. I think it's very specific about love being practical. Not just talking about it. It's not just words. It's something we do. Sometimes in ordinary ways, sometimes in extraordinary ways. So when you go home and your roommate's there, or your spouse, you know, uh, focus on them. You know, uh, uh, practice putting their needs ahead of yours. If you have children, honor them. If you've got parents, be a blessing to your parents to love them. Express that in, in ways that maybe they expected or maybe that ways they didn't expect. Maybe with your coworkers tomorrow. When you, you, you walk in thinking, how am I going to make you a better person? How am I going to make you successful? What are you working on today that I'm going to be able to help you with? Even if it's just, I'm going to make a pot of fresh coffee. I'm going to go clean up the break room for you guys. At church, invite people to sit with you. You see somebody come in that you don't know, that's new to Calvary, hey, come sit with us. And I love this. There was a lady who was visiting our church, and she just got transferred here. She's a nurse. Uh, at UT Medical, and uh, she, she came to visit, and she was all alone. She was, I don't know anybody in this town. So uh, we waited after church, and we met her and during, when we were greeting guests. And then after church, we saw her out here, and she's just kind of standing there. So we went up and said, hey, would you go, like to go out and eat lunch with us? And I promise this is true. Standing right in front of the preschool, the nursery area, she starts crying. I'm going, it's okay, you don't have to. <laughs> we not a problem. She goes, no. She goes, my one anxiety about moving to Knoxville, my, my big thing here is that I'm leaving all my friends and my family, and she goes, I just feel so alone. And she goes, last night, Saturday night, I just thought, I'm not even going to go to church because I just don't want to be the stranger. And she says, I, I can't go eat lunch with you because another one of your members has already invited me to lunch that I just met, and I'm going with them. Okay. She said, I think I'm going to like this town, and I think I'm going to like your church. Folks, it's just, that's what love does. That's what love does. I think it would be a wonderful thing if we showed that kind of respect, and that kind of love, and that kind of outreach, where it's characterized by what we do and not what we say. Every church in Knoxville today, every church everywhere is going to be saying, I love you today to somebody, you know. And I'm thankful for the diversity that we have in our community. And I challenge you, let's stretch each other. Let's, let's love each other in an atmosphere of respect and, and of honor. Let's try to outdo each other in who honors who the most. And let's take advantage of the opportunities that God brings us. I think another practical way to love each other is especially relevant to us right now is this command to serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Every one of us use the gift you've received to serve other people. Love is, is this 
act of love and to, to appreciate that. When a children's ministry volunteer is downstairs right now in kid stuff, teaching your child another character quality, another verse, people in the nursery right now, and they're holding your baby and caring for them. Wednesday night at cafe, volunteers are going to make sure that you've got something to eat or drink and that you're comfortable and that your dishes are washed and clean at the end of it because you had a delicious meal. And, you know, when they do that, it's, it's an act of love. Most of you probably have no idea, you know, on cafe, who fixed that meal. You know, you think, and I don't even know, it's just really good. It's some people who love you, and they don't even have to know you for, for you to know who they even are. Isn't that beautiful? I just love that, and I, and I love that you're those kind of people. Let's pursue unity and this bond of peace through love, through love. Let me ask you this. Where are you serving? If you're a member of Calvary, in what ways are you giving yourself to your brothers and sisters here? Can I offer just a paraphrase uh, of a verse that we looked at earlier? If anyone has a gift and sees his church in need but does nothing to help, how can the love of God be in them? Damn, that's pretty tough. Yeah, yeah, it is. If you want to dive deeper in your faith, you've got to get closer to your church family. The best thing you can do for yourself and for this body is just to serve somewhere. Don't just come sit and watch the show. Serve. Can I encourage you to do this? You think, oh, where does that start? I don't know, but I had this idea, and I, you decide where it fits for you. Why don't you just make a decision today? I'm just going to make a commitment. I'm going to serve my church two hours a week. I watch a movie that lasts two hours. I watch a ball game that lasts two hours. I, I ride my bike for two hours. I work out an hour a day. I, you know, you think all these other things just kind of consume our time. What if you said, wait, 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 wait. In the midst of that, I'm going to give at least a couple hours a week to my church. We had somebody just walk in one day and say, hey, I got the afternoon off. You need anything? Like what? Like, can I do anything for you? Uh, what can I do? You want to staple these papers? Is that too demeaning? You know, No, I can staple papers. I'm actually a very good stapler. Wow, you want to go to Krispy Kreme and get us a dozen? I mean, I just start milking it, you know. <laughs> Hey, will you wash my car? You know, paint my house? No, 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 no. You know, we're not going to exploit that, but what would happen? I mean, it's just wonderful to be a friendly church, to smile at each other in the hallway, and to exchange pleasant greetings in the, in the pews. I, I think that's, that's beautiful. But I think it's important to help each other out once in a while with a meal or a visit or a ride. But if, if, that, if that's our... How deep is that love? How deep is that love? Years ago a Catholic priest named Father John Powell wrote a book that the, the title got my attention. It's fascinating. He says, why am I afraid to love? We're all afraid for different kind of reasons, but the love we've been talking about this morning, the deep love that, that God has shown us in Christ, overcomes fear. 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives it out. It gets too crowded, so fear has to leave the room. You know, when you disappoint someone who loves you deeply and they love you anyway, and instead of punishing you, instead of rejecting you, they forgive you and they're patient with you. They give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance, however many it takes. This church I've been telling you about off and on during this message, I start going there and the first thing I do, I start hitting on their girls. I start, you know, I start just behaving badly. 
uh, and just embarrassing my friends. And you know, one particular night, did a really stupid thing. You know, and and they just they just kept gently pushing me, loving me. And that's how God loves me. And that's that's how we love each other. When when you're loved like that, you get set free. When you love that way, it's liberty. You're free to disagree. You're free to agree. You're free to take a risk because it's not about you. You're just free to be yourself. I'm not asking you to change your personality or to be anybody but who you are. And that's why love is the greatest gift we can give each other because it gives us this freedom to become the people that we know we are inside, that we long to be, and that we were meant to be in Jesus. I'm asking, as your friend and as your pastor, let's love each other. Let's love this community. And then we're freed up to love Haiti and China and the world. And the world will sit up and say, what is it about you guys that you love each other like you do? And we say, it's just Jesus. He showed us how to love and what it is to begin with. Would you stand, please? Let's just pray about this together for a moment and ask the Lord, would he begin to teach us how to express this love that we feel and turn it into actions? He may give you some of the craziest ideas you know, my son and I, one time, we, we wanted our neighborhood to know that we love them, and we couldn't figure out anything. So we did this. It's, it's a silly little thing. We just made cookies, and we started going around and uh, just taking people cookies door to door. And some people would thank you and just be so polite and kind of surprised. Other people would be suspicious and shut the door and refuse the cookies. I mean, it was just, we were... It was a great conversation later that we said, isn't it funny the different responses that we got when we're just trying to do something innocent and loving? I don't know what ideas God may lead you to have about this. I don't know where this is going to land with you, but I hope that you'll begin to get creative and think of ways to love the people around you. And Let's watch what that turns into. Father, I pray that you'd help me to be more loving. I'm afraid I talk about it a lot more than I do it. And that makes it cheap and shallow and, and some, somehow not genuine. Would you help me to be a more loving man, more loving husband and father and pastor and friend, more loving citizen in this country and in this town? Show me how to love. Show me what to do today and this week make it real. Father, help us to love. To love like you love us. For your glory. For Jesus. He might be famous in this place. He might be lifted up glorious in our town because of the testimony of this church. Because we love.